This is Steve Davidson, your host of The Playful Musician. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Alice DiMaselli, and this is Sunrise off of her upcoming album, Every Seed We Plant. Alice lives not too far from me here in Southern Oregon, and we sat down about a week or so ago to talk about the inspiration and creation of this new album coming out in just a few weeks. We talked about songwriting, we talked about living in Southern Oregon and some of the challenges we've had in terms of the fires and uh, the pandemic and all that kind of good stuff. Allison shares about her career and some of the really high points of performing on stage with Bonnie Raitt and touring all over and just the heartfelt nature of her music and her songwriting. We talk about her songwriting process and what she's looking forward to coming up in this year, which hopefully includes getting back out on the road and doing what she loves. We have several clips from the new album, Every Seed We Plant, so you're going to want to stick through to the end for that. And, of course, the lightning round or rapid-fire questions. She tells us about some of her favorite gigs, her worst gigs, some of her inspirations. Please enjoy my conversation with Alice DiMaselli. There is magic in each moment I get to hold your hand The world is crazy, did you notice? Welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Alice, thanks so much for being here. It's so great to have you on the show and finally get together. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. It's an honor to be here. So you um so you've been working on this this album, Every Seed We Plant, and it's coming out like pretty soon. How 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 did this all start for you, this this whole project? Well, um, this is number 16 for me. Oh my gosh. Kind of exciting. <clears throat> Excuse me. And yeah. um, the project started, I mean, the, you know, March of 2020, mm. I had a whole tour set up. I had nine months of shows set up, was, you know, had basically built out a van to be on the road for the year. I planned on being on the road most of the time. Mm. Um you know, my husband was coming with me. We had the whole, our whole lives set up and then we did the first show of the tour. Where was that? 
in Eugene, March seventh, okay. and then March ninth, you know, Governor Brown shut it down, and um, and COVID hit, and and I was just like, we we're in a pandemic, and everything was canceled. Basically, everything forward that I had was canceled almost all immediately. You know, I tried to keep some things that were in the summer, but then every festival, every everything, everything got canceled. Mm. So I was going a little crazy at home, but I realized pretty quickly that I was writing songs. Like I just started, I was writing because I had time, right? Like mm. I wasn't traveling. Right. I wasn't on the phone booking. So I just started writing and I actually took like some songwriting classes oh, fun. You know, from other artists and like sat in on things. And I, I decided to um, learn how to record myself because I was like, this is, this is going to drive me crazy if I can't get in. Cause usually I go into the studio and I take a band into mm -hmm. the studio. Right. And we, we spend a week or however long and like I cook for them and we <laughs> hang out and we, we work on each song and you know, like we'll, I'll bring a song to the band and then we'll arrange it together and then we record it all at once. You know, it's mm. usually like live. Um, and then we'll add a few little extra things later if we want to, but that's kind of been my MO of recording for 30 something years. Mm. And then, you know, I've always been intrigued by the piecemeal project, like by people that do their home studio and then send to other people. And basically it was my only option yeah. because it was either stay home and write songs, but don't actually create anything that I can share with the world or figure it out. So I, I learned how to live stream myself and I started doing free live streams um, mm -hmm. every week for like six months at the beginning of the pandemic, just to try to help my community, my people, you know, feel like there yeah. was some normalcy. I mean, that was a crazy <laughs> time. And then I, I started like acquiring music gear and I got help from Brett Levick. I got help from my friend Rob Seifert Gage in Humboldt County, who's produced some stuff for me, my bass player, Rob Kohler. And I called Sylvia Massey and Chris and said, Hey, I need, I hear you're selling some mics. I might want to buy some. And so I went to their place and they sold me a couple great guitar mics, a really nice stereo pair of guitar mm. mics. And Sylvia kind of gave me this download. We sat there on her couch, you know, with our masks on. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, like 12 feet of this giant couch, you know, like 10 <laughs> feet apart. And she just kind of gave me a download. And then I started asking all my producer friends and they're like, yeah, you have the ears. Like, there's no reason why you can't do this. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I created this little place called Tiny Wonderland. I have this little studio that I'm in right now where, you know, I would teach voice students and mm -hmm. I would practice. And it was like kind of like I needed my own little my own little space in a, in my within my home but you know i live in a 1200 square foot house with my partner and it's like you know yeah. if i wake up in the middle of the night and i i'm writing something it always wakes him up and then the next sure. day like he's got so it's sort of like we created this little space for me in the backyard oh and now it's this wonderful little recording studio and i got a bunch of good gear you know just what i needed to do acoustic guitars and vocals you know, so so I'm set up and I've had a lot of fun with it. So I started recording 
Um, and I would send it to my bass player in Montana, who has a great recording setup. Mm-hmm. And I would send it to Brett. And he would add stuff. And I would send it to the keyboard player, uh, Skip Edwards, who lives in L.A. Mm-hmm. And he has a B3, like a real B3 with a real Leslie. And he nice. knows how to record it. So he does most of the keyboards. And I, I had Dean Angermeyer, our amazing yep. local uh, keyboardist, yeah. play um, some Fender Rhodes on another song. And just, you know, strings and just different. Like I sent it all over the place. And it was really fun. <laughs> it was like this whole new process of like, well, I want this. And I want this person. But I don't have to pay them $600 plane ticket to get here and then pay them how much a day to play. I can just send them the track and they send it back to me the next day and I just pay them, you know, and it makes like, wow, what a life changer. (laughs) Not that I don't appreciate all the years that I spent in the studio with the band. I mean, there's some magic there that is completely different, Yeah, but this has been really good. And and Brett has co-produced the whole way. He's co-arranged everything. So he really pushed me as a songwriter and as a singer and as a guitar player um, and as a recordist, mm. you know, he basically said, OK, that's you didn't record that well enough. Change it. You know, like mm. at the beginning, when I started sending him stuff, he's like, OK, why don't you do this? Tweak this. Like and then he taught me how to listen. He mm. taught me how to I mean, he, you know, you can't teach yeah. someone how to listen, <laughs> but he taught me what to listen for. Right. And now, not only did I record all of my own vocals and all of my own guitar parts for this record, but I'm recording other people. Mm. I recorded half the vocals on Danielle Kelly's album. Oh, wow. For her. She came in here and I coached her and helped her. You know, she wanted me to coach her for some of the songs. And I was like, just come to my studio. I've got a great mics. I got great preamps. I got great compressor. Like sure. I got everything you need. And so, like, I think it's like half the songs on her record or close to half the songs on her record I recorded here. And I we had so much fun together, too. I bet. And then, um, you know, uh, my friend Winsong came in and I produced a song for her recently. And Diane Patterson, who's goes by the folk goddess. Um, mm-hmm. She I recorded a song for her in here and produced it. And I'm wow. having so much fun. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm I'm learning how to produce as well now, which is something that I feel like that's a really good skill to, to have. Yeah. And it's, and it's really exciting because I want to help other people mm. express themselves because that's it's gorgeous. not all about me. I mean, yeah. yes, we can talk about, <laughs> I love this new record. I love the songs. We can get into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but there's something really special about paying it forward. Like mm. people, I've learned so much over the years mm. about how to stand in this, this body, in this, you know, mm-hmm. th- as a human musician, right? you know, and like, I would, I, I would love to share that knowledge and stuff with other people, you know, mm. like, especially young people or not necessarily just young people. Yeah. You know, like some woman in her fifties, that's like always wanted to be a songwriter, you know, and, 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 and is a great singer, but 
you know, raised her kids and never really had the chance. Like, I want to be able to open this place up and be like, okay, come on in. Let's work on that. That's beautiful. You know, so it's it's kind of like another thing. Although I really do want to get back on the road because <laughs> yeah. I am going crazy with no performances. Like I'm, that's like my that that's that your thing feeds me. Yeah, to be on stage and have people sing and you know that exchange between the audience and you know I mean, mm-hmm. have you done any live performances? A little bit, you know. I've been really cautious with that. I just. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm cautious with that for many reasons. Um, yeah, you know, obviously. for myself and my family. My daughter-in-law is pregnant. Um, you know, my family means the world to me. I've lost several people in my life who I adore to COVID. Yeah. Um, and I've also just don't want to be a super spreader. You yeah, know? yeah. But the the few shows that I've done were awesome. Like I, you know, and I have a show coming up. You know, I'm just going to try to do more outdoor stuff for now yeah, yeah. until it's sort Makes of settled sense. down. And, you know, because I don't want to deal with all the. Yeah, totally. That comes with the whole conversation. It's like, yeah, yeah. I love you. I respect you. Yeah. Whatever you got to do for yourself. Um, I want to play music. And exactly. I be with people. Yeah. But I want to do it in a safe way where nobody's going to get hurt. Yeah. How steep was the learning curve for you for, with all the gear and the software and the technology? Like, was that well, scary for you? Say if the, so the learning curve is really steep. It's like a steep learning curve and I'm nowhere near the top of the mountain. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be one of those things like guitar or like saxophone, you know, for you. It's like, yep. yeah, you can get a certain baseline where you're good at doing what you do. Mm-hmm. But, um, as far as I'm a, I call myself a baby producer mm-hmm. and you know, I ask a lot of questions. I bug Brett all the time <laughs> and he's very generous with his time with me and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Um, you know, I bug my friends like teach me this. And I look, I watch a lot of, uh, videos on YouTube to learn how to do things. And then I'm also taking a class. Um, you know, I, I, I started doing these songwriting classes and then I also found this course um, to learn logic. Oh, fun. In, um, which is the program that I use to record. Yep. Um, it's kind of the more simple program <laughs> that, that I, I didn't want to go for the really harder one yet. I felt like, let's learn how to do something that's very yeah. simple. And when you can do I, a lot with logic, I think so. Oh yeah. You can do everything with it. You know, it's just, it's just, there's different, there's different tools, yeah. but, um, but I, I'm taking a course that I'm still taking, um, you know, slowly. That's kind of like the dummies version of <laughs> how to do logic, which is perfect for me because, right. you know, it's taught by this woman who gives you these little modules and, you know, I don't have to know everything. Yeah, so yeah. I can f- keep focus on the part that I need to learn right now. And then, be done with it and then move on to the next thing when I need to know that. That's cool. So it's pretty organized, which is great. <laughs> so in terms of songwriting, like how I'm always curious what people's process is are <laughs> um, in terms of like, and it probably, it maybe it fluctuates uh, and I'm, a, I'm certainly sure it does, but uh, in general, like, for you, is it like a melody, a lyric, a bass line? Like where, where's the thread that usually starts 
a song for you? So for me, I mean, I know people do talk about, oh, the lyrics or the melody. For me, it's a feeling mm. because my music is the, the music that I write and that I choose to write is based in emotion. Um, and what I try to do is create, you know, the songs hopefully evoke a certain emotion. Mm-hmm. And so it always starts with that feeling. It always starts with, you know, whatever that is, if it's love or lust or, you know, yeah. sadness or, you know, solitude or whatever it is, it usually starts with a feeling. Mm-hmm. And I'll oftentimes I'll kind of be overtaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely believe there's a muse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I certainly have spent the last 40 years or so of writing music, um, I get overtaken by the muse. Mm. And so my favorite songs are when the muse just comes in and just goes boom. And the song like (laughs) comes out and I, there's really not a lot of work and I'm just like, where the hell did that come from? Right. That's, those are the most, that's the most gratifying on some level, but then there's this whole other level where it's like you're, you got this feeling and then you sit down and the feeling starts coming out, but it takes some tweaking, mm-hmm. you know, and there's massaging that happens and there's, you know, a lot of editing, Yeah, there's a lot of editing because, you know, I can be wordy, especially in a conversation. I don't mm. want to be super wordy in a song Yeah, because the whole idea of singing I want to be able to um, to create whatever that feeling is. I want to create that feeling in the song with the lyrics and the melody and the way that I sing. Mm-hmm. So part of writing a song is also changing the timbre or the vibe of the voice. And sometimes, you know, it's very angst angsty and sometimes it's just super laid back and sometimes it's somewhere in the middle but that's a huge part of songwriting for me too is just finding that right place in my body where it's sitting and then coming from there Mm -hmm. did you watch um by chance did you see the beatles documentary that came out (laughs) not i don't have whatever that oh disney plus or yeah yeah, i don't have that so i haven't seen it yet okay well there was a there's a i mean for me what i got out of that documentary was just the sheer amount of like i almost want to say goofing off but it wasn't really goofing off but just sort of like picking at the muse like that they do and just like try this and try this and try this and try this and then all of a sudden uh something would emerge that was the kernel for a great song yeah, that's kind of how it works, really. I mean, there's like, you know, you just kind of play with life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mostly I write alone. Um, with your guitar? Yeah. And a lot of times, like, if I'm in a writing space, like, I don't want anybody around. <laughs> I mean, when my kids were little, I was always like, oh, I got to go hide, you know? And I'd like sing really quiet and play really quiet because, like, I don't want anyone to hear me when I'm doing this, like, writing part. Right. Um. But I've also done some writing with other people and that's really fun. You know, that's mm. a really, and I'd actually like more of that. I feel like that would be real. That's like 
Brett and I have been writing together a bit and it's been really fun and I'm hoping we do more and I'm, I'm mm. hoping that I can collaborate more with other people. It's really fun. But there's this kind of very personal space that I have to go into. It's very vulnerable. It's very, uh, it's very deep. And like I said, sometimes songs just fly out. Like in, right. in fact, the, so the, the cover, the title track, Every Seed We Plant, mm-hmm. was a song that pretty much flew out. It was, I was getting ready to go to Grandma Aggie's memorial. I don't, for those yeah. who don't know, Grandmother Agnes Maker Pilgrim was a dear friend of mine and she was the eldest living member of the Tequilma tribe for many years and um, just an amazing woman and a very huge inspiration and um, mm. and a very important person to me. And she had passed in November of 2019 and in January of 2020, before the pandemic started, um, she had, um, we had her memorial and I was invited by her granddaughter to come and sing at it. And I was just like, oh gosh, well, I have a song called Voice of the Water that's on my One with the Tide album, which was my last album, that quotes Grandma Aggie in it. Mm-hmm. So I was you know, warming up and I was like, okay, this is the song I'm going to sing because it has Grandma Aggie's words in it. And I was putting my guitar back in its case and getting ready to leave. And like, I just felt these hands on my shoulders. I was standing up and I felt these hands on my shoulders pushing me to sit down Hmm. and then like get the guitar. And I was just like, oh, what? I have to leave the house in 10 minutes. And I'm like arguing with the muse, you know, and saying, what? But then I was just like, oh, and I just I just felt this song had to come through at this moment. Mm. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be presumptuous enough to say that it was grandma because sure. I don't know. But that's kind of how it felt. It felt to me like she had something else she wanted to say. Mm. And And I don't know if that's just me and my head and my ego. So I'm not. Sure. Necessarily saying that's what it was, but that's what it felt like to me. So I sat down and the song Every Seed just literally came out. Um, all of a sudden I was playing this guitar part that I'd never played before, that I'd never heard before, and I was just playing it. And I was like, what? Where did this come from? And the next thing I knew I was just singing. And I worked on it for literally 10 minutes the the song pretty much just flew out and then i had to pack up and leave because i had to go to the memorial and the Mm -hmm. whole way i'm like oh my god i have to sing this song at this memorial and i get there and there's like 800 people and it's all (laughs) grandma's family and all of her friends and i'm just like you know usually with grandma stuff i would just stay in the background yeah yeah you know i did a lot of support for her i you know i did not ever want to like center myself in her space right because for me it's about her i just wanted to honor her Hmm. so it was a little awkward because i was it was already awkward to be singing because it's like how you know what do you you know how do you honor this amazing person and you know everybody wanted to do a song and everybody wanted to say something so it was huge you know yeah and i was kind of like going oh me i don't really want i'll just go and honor her you know sure. i just kind of want to stay in the background but um but i sang the song and it just it felt right and it it just it 
it's a way for me to stay close to her, but mm. it was like that magical thing, you know. But then there's other songs that take, you know, so much work and they're they're just different, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Here's for granted one more track off of Every Seed We Plant. Please don't take my love for granted. I'll give you all I've got and more. Can't you see my heart is planted in this garden next to yours? Baby, please spend a little time with me, cause I need With the album, um, is there a? Do you think of it as a, as one work? Like the whole album is a theme, and and you're trying to sculpt that with all the songs, or is it just more organic? Like here's the songs that are coming out, and I'm putting these together, and they kind of you know. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not really a theme person so yeah. much. Um, I mean I do. My theme is, uh, for me, a good a good album or a great album. Like the difference between a good album and a great album to me is that a great album takes you through every emotion. Mm. And you know, I think about like songs in the key of life, the yeah. best album of all time, Stevie Wonder. Like you feel every freaking thing you could possibly feel when you listen to that album. And right. yeah, it's two records, but whatever, you know, that was my, <laughs> that's like, that's like the high, the height for me. That album is so amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think about the great albums that I love and they, they all make you kind of go through the emotions and they leave you feeling good. And so that's what I try to do with my music. Um, I feel like that's, you know, that's what my muse encourages me to do, too, because I, I, you know, there's there's songs about everything, you know, there's like right. all the food groups. <laughs> so there's not really a theme. I mean, yeah. the first song um, that I recorded for the record was Rise. And so I had been playing around with my recording equipment, just trying to learn, but was, you know, and was taking it seriously, but not super seriously yet. Mm. But then the fires happened in, you know, Ashland and Talent and Phoenix. Yeah. And so many of my friends lost everything in those fires. And, you know, 2,500 homes in our community were just gone up in smoke. Yeah. And so I wrote Rise in response to that and recorded it and did a video and just basically started raising money and trying to do things, 
you know, it was like, what am I going to do? At the time, I had 10 stitches in the bottom of my foot um, <laughs> from stepping on a bottle in the Klamath River, going kayaking, which I didn't actually get to go kayaking that day because it happened at the put-in. Thank oh, you. No. Um, so when oh. this all happened, I had 10 stitches in my foot, so I really couldn't do anything. I mean, I was like hobbling around in my kitchen making soup and bringing it down to Bear Creek Park to feed people because I didn't really know what else to do. Right. Um, but I wrote this song. And then a couple weeks later, uh, a friend, um, Garrick, Marv Ellis, um, did a video for me um, so that I could get the word out to like my broader audience because, you know, I've done a lot of touring. I have mm -hmm. like people that love my music from all over the country and all over the world. So I yeah. wanted to try to raise money for our little valley elsewhere. So we did this video and it's in, it's an intense video. Um, and you know, the song's intense, but it was, mm -hmm. you know, just felt like the right thing to do. And so that kind of started, then I got serious about the record. Cause I was like, Oh, this actually sounds really good. <laughs> 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 like I'm there, like Brett was like, you're ready. Uh -huh. Just start recording songs, like just just send me stuff. Yeah. And so I started doing it, and I and I was, you know, I got really good guitar sounds, and I was getting really good vocal sounds. So I was like, okay, I'm ready. Awesome. So I just kept, you know, I've just been mm. learning ever since. Do you have like um, certain time that you're like, okay, I'm gonna I'm going in the studio today, and I'm gonna write from, you know, are you are you scheduled about it or regimented in your no, no. <laughs> I am not a schedule person. I mean, I'm a schedule person in that when I'm on the road and I have to be somewhere, you know, yeah. my biggest schedule is I try to swim every day. So I try to schedule oh, awesome. that in and I've been missing it for three days. So I'm a little bit going crazy right now. <laughs> um, I better get to the pool today. Um, you know, I need my physical exercise. Otherwise I, I, here you get it's like that add thing where it's like you have to get it out and it's like if i don't if i don't feed the body its proper amount of physical activity then my brain can't slow yeah. down and so I'm so then exactly I'm the same. jumbling everywhere um but no i'm not really like i mean i guess i'm disciplined it's funny because i have a friend who's like oh you're so disciplined i'm like yeah but you know with music there has to be that spark yeah. So yes, I I have done I spent a lot of years doing the okay, I'm going to write from, you know, this time to that time and I'm going to work on this. And I did do that and that was great practice, but honestly the songs that came out of it were not songs that I was mm -hmm. connected to. Sure. So I have a lot of, you know, I have a huge backlog of songs <laughs> that I don't even remember because I'm like, yeah, that wasn't that good. Mhm. Mm but it was great exercise. Like I would tell a songwriter, a budding songwriter to do that. Yeah. But at this point, this stage in the game, yeah. that's not my process. My process is more like, you know, I'm out in the world and the ADD thing. It's like, you know, you're, you're in the conversation and then squirrel, you right. know, <laughs> and you get this, this little squirrel runs by and gives you an inspiration. You mm. know, the squirrel is singing about how much you love your partner or, you know, yeah. or, or that it's, you know, songs just come. I don't yeah. know. It's interesting. It's like Inspired. I said, the feeling, the feeling comes, the inspiration comes, and then that's when I put the effort in. And then I will pretty much drop 
everything until that <laughs> song is done. And some songs take longer than others. Yeah. And then the arranging of them, you know, and sometimes the lyrics take, like, I'll have drafts and drafts and drafts. Like, Long Dry Winter, I wrote um, last early spring, and it took me quite a few days to get it, you know, down to what it is now. Yeah. And, you know, it was just... It was just the process of elimination and just the process of, of just having to sit with that feeling. And so a lot of times that's what it is. It's like I literally have to sit with whatever that feeling is and then work on it and massage it until until the way I'm singing and the way I'm playing and the chord structure and all of the, the emotion of it until it becomes that thing that when you hear that, you feel that emotion. Right. That's and that's, awesome. I mean, that's at least the goal. I, sure. I, I am not the judge. Sure. I cannot say whether I'm successful at that or not. Cause it's, you know, yeah. for me, it feels it, but you know, it's really up to the listener. And, and I think that's the, the cool thing about music and the difficult thing about music is that it's so subjective. And so, Right. One person will hear a song and feel something and another person will feel something totally different. And yeah. then, you know, some people hear it and they just they're not going to feel anything because they just don't connect to it. And that's mm -hmm. OK, too. Right. You know, like I've kind of got to the point in my career, you know, 30 something years in where it's just like it's not everybody's cup of tea. And, and that's, that's OK. okay. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that's really OK. Like. I don't need it to be everybody's cup of tea. There's plenty of people who love that tea and will drink that tea all day long and mm -hmm. it will give them some nourishment. And that's yeah. to me what it's about is about the nourishment that the music can give to people. And that's why I do it. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm a too old to do it for <laughs> other reasons anymore. <laughs> you know? No, that's, that's great. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Tell me about that Stevie Wonder album. I know that was an early influence. Oh, for yeah. You. So that was, I was 11 when that came out. So that would be 76, I guess. Mm -hmm. And my grandma, it was, my grandma bought it me for me for my 11th birthday. And um, so I. Were you a Stevie out. Wonder fan that young, or she was just oh, like, oh, no, no, you just need oh, this no. album? I wanted that album. Oh, you like, did? <laughs> I wanted that album. I heard a couple of the singles on the radio and was like, I want this. And that was just the kind of record that little 11-year-old Alice just literally, like, sat. I just played that thing over and over again. And I, it's it's part of what made me, um, it's really made me a singer in a way. I mean, I loved singing along to music. I always loved singing along to mm -hmm. music. But but it, it informed me musically because not only did I sing along with the words, like, Jeff Beck solo, I'm singing along with. The piano parts, I'm singing along with. The horn parts, I'm singing along with. Like, yeah. it really opened my mind to, and because that album is so diverse, I mean, it's two records and then a, a 45 with two songs on each side, or <laughs> two songs, or one, I think there's two songs on each yeah, side, I think one so. song on each side. Um, but anyway, it's a lot of music. <laughs> and I just dove headfirst because... It was so great. I mean, and of course, I love Talking Book and stuff. I mean, I love yeah. Stevie Wonder's albums are great. But that album was the quintessential, made me go, it, 
if I could write songs, I would want to write songs that make me feel things the way this music makes me feel things. Mm. You know? Yeah. And I love all music, but that I wanted. So when I did finally get a guitar, I joined a band when I was in high school and I was the singer. <laughs> and we did like everything from like, you know, I was doing like Grace Slick covers, you know, uh, Jefferson mm -hmm. Airplane covers to like Steppenwolf and yeah. all kinds of stuff. You know, and that was really fun, but it just made me go, I want to play my own music. And then I started learning how to play the guitar and I started learning Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and like mm -hmm. all that stuff, you know, and like Creedence Clearwater songs and, you know, yeah. started teaching myself how to play the guitar. And, and then I started writing like right away because it was like, oh, and then I realized like, okay, I've got to really work on this because this is. This is a thing that I can do. This is like, this the muse is screaming at me to mm. let this stuff come through. Right. And I think that the music, I mean, I think it's gotten better. I mean, I love my old stuff. You know, I, I listened to some of the songs from Make a Change, which was my first album in 88 that I recorded when I was 21 years old, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know or I wrote most of the songs when I was 21, recorded it when I was 22, released yeah. it when I was 23. But, you know, those songs are beautiful. There's there's a simplicity to them and a beauty to them that I, I sometimes want to go back to in a way. Mm. Um, but there's something about having a maturity in writing where I deal... I deal in more complex emotions now. Yeah, yes. And For I like sure. that. I <laughs> like that. I feel like, you know, the earlier stuff was more a uh, simple emotion. Mm -hmm. And now I'm delving more into the complexity of emotion and the complexity of relationship. And, you know, whereas when you're young, things seem a lot more black and white. Right. <laughs> and and now I'm firmly in the gray. In the gray, yeah. <laughs> I think that's why our hair turns silver, right? Like right, our hair maybe. Is turning silver because it's just a reminder that mm -hmm. everything is, you know, there there's no the absolute, you know, the idea of the absolute is is not really what I would aspire to sure. understand, you know, like I think there's so much beauty in the gray. There's so much beauty mm. in, in the combination of things and in, in, in complexity yeah. and, you know, and in, in interdependence. Yeah. You know, the interdependence of everything, even emotion. It's like mm -hmm. to feel good, you know, there's this, there's an interdependence with sorrow and with sadness and with grief. Yeah. You know, for sure things taste a lot sweeter if you've tasted bitter. Yep. You know? Yeah. Was your family musical? Was there a lot of music in your household growing up? No, actually not. My mom, my mom's a piano player. I mean, I should say, I shouldn't say no. My mom's a piano player. My mom's actually a really awesome musician. Um, and she played a lot. Yeah, she did play a lot. So yes, there was music in my household. My dad's not a musician. Um, you know, he loves music. Um, mm -hmm. you know, he had his Santana records and stuff and, 
you know, we listened to some good music, yeah. Black and, you know, whatever, The Who. He had Tommy yeah. The Who album and stuff. So, you know, we, we listened to some cool stuff. Um, but my mom was a piano player. She didn't play a ton. She definitely played, but she didn't play. Like, it wasn't like every day she played piano. Yeah. Or if she did, it was when I was at school. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and my sisters are both, you know, good singers. And they, you know, they're very musical. My older sister was... And she actually was an actor and a singer in plays and stuff, you know, all through her high school and college years. Yeah. And then I think she's actually helped, like, direct some musicals and stuff like that. She's, she's you know, and my little sister is just very musical, mm. but, you know, and, and loves music, but, you know, not ever put much. Professionally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, we sing along. Is Tima Sully... Is that Italian? Like, what's the... Yes, it's Sicilian. Okay. <laughs> have you been to Sicily? No, I have not. I've not been to Italy or Sicily yet. Oh. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm like, come on, I want to go tour over there, y'all. Bring me over. Yeah, I was curious. I was like, that's, uh, I think that's Italian. but. So I am third generation... Uh, American. My great grandparents came over. Um, mm. On my dad's side, my great grandparents came over. Both sets came over from Sicily, um, and then my grandparents were born here, mm -hmm. and my parents were born here, and then I was born here. And my mom's side, same thing, but my mom's Ukrainian. So oh wow! I have like the half Ukrainian, the half Sicilian. Yeah, and they were all on the East Coast. That's where you grew yeah. up, right? Yeah, my parent, my my dad's family is mostly New York City and Long Island, and then we, my my grandparents moved to New Jersey. That was like, oh my goodness, they were like <laughs> the first people to move to New Jersey. So that's where I grew up. Mm. And my mom's family was in New Jersey, came to New Jersey. And then what? How did you make your way to Oregon? That's a long ways from New Jersey. <laughs> So, by way of a little activity called touring with the Grateful Dead. Ah. Roundabout. So, when I was in high school, I discovered the Grateful Dead. Mm -hmm. And I went to a concert. And then I went to the next concert and the next concert and the mm -hmm. next concert and the next concert. Much to the dismay <laughs> of my poor parents. Because I'm like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm in high school. And I'm like, oh, I'll see you in a few days. <laughs> What do you mean you'll see us in a few days? I'm going on Grateful Dead tour. <laughs> so I, when I graduated high school, I went on Dead tour mm -hmm. for like six months. And then I ended up going to college in upstate New York for a couple of years. And I still toured with the Dead the whole time I was in college, pretty much. Wow. I just like would go back and forth. And, um, and then one day when I was, it was like, January or no it was December of 1985 I had a dream and in the dream my great-grandfather who had passed away several years before told me that I needed to go to Hawaii mm. and I was like what and I woke up that morning and the phone rang and my parents called and they said that my nana had passed my great-grandmother his wife Okay. And I was like, well, that's weird because Nano came and told me to go to Hawaii last night in a dream. And I feel like he's on his way to go pick her up. 
you know? Yeah. It just felt like this message. So, you know, little 18-year-old me or 19-year-old me or whatever was like, okay, I'll go to Hawaii. So anyway, I had tickets to go see the Grateful Dead at Oakland Coliseum or, no, at uh, Kaiser or whatever it was, um, Mm -hmm. one of those Oakland places for New Year's because I'd always be out there. And I decided I was just going to quit school. My parents were not happy. So I quit (laughs) school, moved out of my apartment. Um, But I had been working like 35 hours a week at at a children's center and running a birth control clinic. And I was really burnt out at school. Mm, So, and I wasn't, I was taking music therapy and women's studies. And I realized like, I want to be like, I was like, I love the idea of music therapy. It's great, but I'm probably not going to end up working in a hospital or in a, you know, center, I was like, to me, music is therapy. So I'm going to do this music therapy, but I'm going to do it from the stage. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to do it in a different way. And I just yeah. knew that. So I was just like, okay, I'm not going to go into debt. Like, so I just, I was like, I don't want to go into debt. And I was working like this almost full-time job to try to pay for college. And it was just like, oh, I can't yeah. deal with this. Too much. So anyway, I quit college, went to the Oakland and then met up with these friends who were going to Hawaii. And we got on the plane the next day. And I had like 40 bucks in my pocket or something. Like I got the plane ticket and I still had like 40 bucks. I went there and I basically was like babysitting their two-year-old while they like had fun. And I had fun too. I mean, but mm-hmm. but I did a lot of babysitting. And they, so they like provided me rides everywhere I needed to go and, and, you know, food for the first, you know, for the first month or whatever. And then I kind of figured out, found some odd jobs and found some ways to survive and, hung out there for like four or five months. And then I met these people from Williams, Oregon. And Mm -hmm. this one friend of mine, he lives in Williams and he was like, you can come live on my land for free. And you know, you need to do this music thing. Like you have no idea what, you know, you have this gift. You need to, you need to pursue it and like Mm. live for free on my property. And then you could just play music and figure out where this is going to go. So I did it. I moved to, Williams. And and I've been in Southern Oregon since. That was in 1986. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's a great story. Strange roundabout story (laughs) to get to Williams, but yeah, thank you, Ohana. I love you. That's awesome. (laughs) Friend who brought me here. Yeah. How did how did uh you and Brett Levick meet? So, you know, Brett and I met a couple times, you know, through the whole suspects left, you know, the whole musician's right. family. But we met through Indivisible. Okay. Which is a group that formed after the 2016 election to resist. Mm-hmm. And so I met him through all that like there were a couple like protests and different things that I went to and he was there and we just started talking and um and I had had uh my drummer Nick Kirby was supposed to mix the album one with the tide but something he decided to take a job doing something that was really loud like he was working in a machine shop or something oh yeah and so it was just it was just not gonna happen in a timely manner and I just felt like if he's working in a machine shop all day, like it's just not, you know, like trying to like mix at night, it just didn't feel right. And so he just said to me, he's like, look, I know you want to do this quickly. You know, he's like, 
and I just don't feel like I can do it because I've got this other job. And yeah. he's like, why don't you call Brett? He's great. And so I s- called Brett, and he sent me a bunch of mixes that he had done. And I was like, this guy's really good. <laughs> you know? And so I listened to a bunch of stuff that he had done, and I was just like, oh, hell yeah. And so then I gave him the album to mix, and and he did an incredible job. Mm-hmm. And then he mixed my live album and we, you know, we became friends and while we were mixing one with the tide, um, you know, we were talking and we were, we both decided, we both talked about, you know, our love of Tom Petty and mm-hmm. how much we loved his music. And I was like, yeah, I always, always wanted to do this band, you know, and then Petty passed away right during those sessions. And we just kind of looked at each other and we were like, we actually really need to do this. Like, this isn't just like, you know, BS anymore. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like something that needs to happen. And so we, we jumped in and we, we started this band, Petty Thievery. And so, um, which has been a huge life changer for me in that I feel like it's made me so much better of a songwriter because I've been hmm. living in Petty songs. Like Tom Petty ah. is a great writer. Oh yeah, you for know, sure. He's just such a great writer. And, so learning so many of his songs and not only learning them, but like putting myself into them because the way Petty Thievery works and the reason why I think it was, you know, such a fun band for people to come and listen to is that, you know, it wasn't, we weren't doing the typical tribute band where you dress up like the person and try right. to sound exactly <laughs> like the person. Like, you know, we were true to the arrangements. We were true to the music and to the the, the vibe. Mm-hmm. But we, as individual singers, um, Brett and myself and Gene Black, you know, we put our own spin on it. Um, you know, we we sing from our authentic selves. Yeah. And so, in order to sing from your authentic self on any music, especially cover music, um. You kind of have to put yourself in emotionally into the song and into the head of the person who wrote the song. Yeah. And so that, I think, I think that really informed this new record because hmm. it kind of gave me, it, it gave me some other uh, colors in my palette. Like, you know, every artist has a palette and they have yep. all their colors and, you know, we have our favorites that we have the most of or that we use the most of. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I think he he gave me new shades to work with and new new colors to work with by living in his music like that so intensely because, you know, we've learned tons of his songs. Yeah. And then to just be like in, it's sort of like, I feel like I got to sit at the foot of the master in the master class, you know, and that that I think, I think it made me better. That's really cool. You know. Did you ever see Tom Petty in performance? No, I'm so <laughs> bummed that I never got to. And I really thought about it that last tour. He was playing up in Seattle and I had friends that were going. And I was like, oh, I want to go. But, you know, I'm a musician. Yeah. <laughs> I don't make a lot of money. So I don't go to a lot of big shows and I don't sure. go to places where I like I have so many friends who have regular jobs and they're like, oh, they just save up and then they go to Dead and Company or wherever. Like they get yeah. to go to these places where you spend a pretty good amount a of, lot money, of on money hotel and on this <laughs> and that. That's just not my reality. That just never been my reality. I've I 
I'm bare bones trying to make it as a musician. So I don't really do a lot of that stuff. I wish that I would have bucked mm-hmm. up and done it and gone into debt to do it. But, you know, hey, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah. Do you listen to a lot of music? Are you a big consumer of music in general? I am. You know, um, I fall in love with artists and then I just mm-hmm. kind of like binge. <laughs> I'm a, definitely a binger. Like, yeah. I had in the last couple years, I had the most recent binge has been Chris Stapleton. Mm-hmm. And the binge before that, I've been like on an Americana <laughs> kick. I think part of that is because of the petty influence. Yeah. Um, before that, I was on a total Jason Isbell kick um, for about a year. Somebody turned me on to him. I was in Colorado a few years ago on tour and um, I did a house concert at this place and the son of the guy who brought me there was awesome and I totally connected with him. Thank you, Tristan. I love you. (laughs) Um, And he gave me a couple CDs and the one that stood out the most, he burned me some CDs. He was like, oh, you know, you got the rental car, you got the CD player here, have some music because I was like, I have no music with me. He was like, oh, I got you. And he's, made me like a seven walker cd but he made me jason isbel southeastern mm. and literally that cd <laughs> lived in the cd player in the rental car and then in my car for like a year wow that's awesome and i was just like this record is so freaking good like because mm. it was it did had all the food groups you know it yeah, got yeah. me through it, it was all the emotions and there was you know i had just lost my ex in 2011 um to cancer oh i'm and so, so sorry he had a song called elephant that just you know every time i listened to it it just reminded me of her and it was mm. like you know it's just it's been a you know it's been a i just i love emotional music but yeah i mean like i mean stevie wonder's been yeah on play all the time but yeah i love i love lots of kind of music i love jazz i love so much i love so many different kinds of music Sometimes I'll be on like a little bit of a really harder rock sure. kick. I, I had an incubus phase. Uh-huh. You know, I've had my um, Mary J. Blige phase. I've had, you know, yeah. um, and I like, I like people that I know. Mm-hmm. Like I listen to my friends, you know, yeah. like, like the local kids. Like, okay, so I had a total Eastern Suns kick. And they were friends of my son, right? Like they all mm-hmm. grew up together and friends of my stepdaughter. And so it's like, you know, I listen to people that, and I like music that says something. Yeah. You know, I like music that kind of says something that means something that's just not really, I'm not really into the fluff. Also from Every Seed We Plant, this is the track, Every Seed. We plan. 
So I have just a few more like kind of quick and dirty questions for you to end the end the interview. Um, was that Stevie Wonder album the first CD or album you ever had, or do you remember the first album you bought? The first album I ever bought was Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Oh, which is another <laughs> amazing record. That record was epic, and it had again all the food groups. It had yeah. all the emotions. It had. And it had the the different singers, you know. Yeah. And of course, like every young girl wanted to be like Stevie Nicks, right? You know. But then I listened, you know, like later I appreciated much more Christine McVie's voice. Like mm-hmm. I was thinking about that recently. Like you know, when I was younger, I really didn't appreciate her as much because I was like, oh Stevie Nicks, oh Stevie <laughs> Nicks. But like now, I listen listen to them and i'm just like wow they yeah. were just all amazing you know my first single was smoke on the water oh. 45 <laughs> <laughs> who is one of your favorite vocalists ever um i would say abby lincoln for sure stevie wonder for sure abby mm-hmm. lincoln for sure um you know i mean how do you not love like ella fitzgerald yeah Simone. <laughs> The emotion that comes off of Nina Simone just, I mean, slays. Um, I love Joan Armitrading. I love her singing. She's just got this whole, so such a quirky style. And I, I remember the first time I heard her on the radio it was WPLJ in New Jersey. And, um, <laughs> and it was so freaking awesome. And I was just like, who is this, you know? <laughs> and, like, I love Mavis Staples. Like, I oh, love, yeah. I love voices where when you hear that voice, there's nobody else. There's no way you're going to confuse it to someone else. I love Joni Mitchell for that. Like, yeah, you know, um, and I, I like voices that are very unique. And so yeah. I've always strived to have a unique enough voice. It's like, you know, when I was studying, um, when I was studying voice with the great Peter Sacco, P. Peter Sacco, who taught uh, at San Francisco State and then moved up to... Um, uh, Ashland, and then mm-hmm. I I lo- I was lucky enough to be in his orbit for about eight years and study with him. You know, he he was that was his thing. He was like, you don't want to sound like anybody else. I want you to sound like just Alice. Like yeah. want, when somebody hears you, that's who they hear. And he right. gave me all kinds of techniques and exercises. And one of them was that I wasn't allowed to listen to any vocals for like two months. <laughs> And if I walked into the co-op and there was vocals on, I needed to put the earplugs in or I needed to leave. <laughs> so I'd go grocery shopping with earplugs. Because like, I wasn't so like, really was like funny. Just, and I listened to like lots of Coltrane, you mm. know, at that time. And I just listened to lots of, I listened to lots of Gene Harris piano and different people. Oh, the other singer that I absolutely love is Ernestine Anderson. Oh mm. my God. Amazing blues jazz singer. Like, a lot of the people that I love, nobody ever heard of. I love Irma Thomas, you know, from New Orleans. It's like mm. a lot of people don't even know who the hell that is. These are great things for people to you check know. out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, just, and of course, Bonnie Raitt. Who yeah. doesn't love Bonnie Raitt, you know? Are you, uh, coffee or tea? Tea, coffee really jacks me up to the point where I get, so I was drinking coffee for a while. I never drank coffee my whole life. Mm-hmm. And 
And then for a couple years, I drank coffee. And one day I woke up and I was making my coffee and my husband came in the room and looked at me and said, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, please don't what? He's like, please, you really don't need coffee, Alice. You are the most energetic person I know. You're bouncing off the walls and all it does is make you tense. Mm. (laughs) Right. It's like you can't keep up with your brain on coffee. Like you need to do the opposite. Slow it down. So then, so now I'm not, I haven't been drinking coffee for a few years. So I'll do a coffee once in a while as like a little medicinal bump. I see. But uh, yeah, I'm not. uh, Coffee, it's funny because several of my friends said, yeah, we're really glad you don't. (laughs) (laughs) What was your first performance in front of an audience? You know, that's funny because my first actual, like a solo performance. Yeah, any performance. So I was in the choir as a little kid and I think maybe it was fifth or sixth grade i had a solo mm. and they were making little alice they were pressing vinyl for the solo and so i did the solo and i squeaked at the end my voice squeaked and i was so humiliated oh no and it was on vinyl so anytime <laughs> we listened to it it was like you could hear the squeak it was horrible so that was a little traumatic and then um you know, I sang in choirs, yeah. but I still love to sing. And I was just like, whatever, I guess it's not about me. It's just, yeah. you know, like I kind of like early on had to go, well, not really about you. So just let that go. Stop making it about you. Like, sure. stop centering yourself. So then I, um, in, uh, in high school, I sang Dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, the the song Dreams. Mm-hmm. Now here you go again. That one. Um, uh, my friend Alan Celeste, who's an amazing keyboard player and still a very dear friend, played the keyboards and uh, and I sang and I was probably like maybe like a junior or sophomore or something. I don't remember. I was mm-hmm. young. Yeah. And so I sang that and then then I joined that rock band. And then I started playing guitar. So my first song that I ever played on the guitar was at a high school talent show kind of thing. And I think it was, God, I think it was maybe Chelsea Morning or something, one Mm -hmm. of the Joni Mitchell songs. And Joni Mitchell was really good for me because she pushed me to work in my upper register, which is not my natural place, but I have a very wide range. So like my voice teacher was very happy that I was able to, to that I stretched myself for that because um he ultimately you know said well you you should have all those colors available right. and now I can you know use that but but um but she lived in a much more soprano-y state than I live in I'm a much more right more out more on the alto contralto-y yeah. <laughs> I mean I sing tenor half the time like I don't have a problem singing most of Petty's songs sure um so anyway, um, cool. I think we uh, that was like probably it. And then I started learning like some Jerry songs and Grateful Dead songs and just playing them at coffee houses. And my awesome. favorite songs to play were for the first couple years that I was doing like mini gigs where I were uh, Can't Find My Way Home mm-hmm. and um, Valerie, which is a Jerry Garcia, Robert Hunter tune. 
nice yeah. bluesy tune and everyone would be like, what? You're singing for a girl? I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> what, what essential tools do you need in your studio for when you're writing or composing? Um, guitar picks, capo, um, and a piece of paper and a pen. Really? I yeah. mean, cause then I can change keys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like to have several guitars in different tunings because sometimes I hear something and I think it's in the right tuning and then I have to retune the guitar. So it's a lot easier to just grab the other one. Yeah. So let me try this one. Oh, that one's so, you know, in my, the essential tool is just a guitar yeah. and, a, and either a voice recorder or a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I have my druthers, I have, you know, four guitars in different <laughs> tunings and, right. you know, um, and a way to record, you know, ideas and stuff. But sure. there's a process like it usually just like I usually just I get obsessive. So I literally usually just sit there till it's done. Like, you know, I'll go use the restroom if I need sure. to. But other than that, like, I it's do just nothing. locked and loaded. Yeah, It's like I'm there. I'm there for the duration, you know, and then and then I might if I need to go to sleep or if I just feel exhausted with it. And I know that coming back with fresh ears is going to inform it and make it better Then I usually like do like a quick phone recording or I just somehow make sure I sing it enough times to make sure I'm going to remember the important parts. Um, I have lost songs without that. And that's never fun, especially when it's a good one. But sometimes I just figure, well, I guess that was just meant for me. (laughs) (laughs) That was just my process. Yeah. Who's a musical hero you would love to work with? Oh, that's interesting. That's a good question. Who is a musical hero? I mean, like, of course, I don't know, Mavis Staples. Mm -hmm. If I could work on a song with her, I mean, talk about a musical hero. You know, Bonnie, I would love to work with Bonnie Raitt. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Awesome. What was your, what's, tell me one of the worst gigs you ever had. (laughs) don't know i mean that's really hard to say because i think there's this selective memory that happens you know (laughs) yeah um i would say the worst gigs one of the i'd say that my worst gigs are if i'm playing somewhere um which i generally don't do this i'm very Mm -hmm. picky about what gigs i do Mm -hmm. but if i go somewhere and i play a gig where people are just drinking and talking and have no interest in me at all that's the right. worst gig where you're like background yeah like i don't do background <laughs> music that's just not what i do like i'm there to connect with you i'm mm-hmm. there to like make you know to have eye contact and voice contact like i'm there sure. to like it's an immersive experience what i what i create is an immersive experience so yeah, so I've had a couple shows like that. I'm not going to say the venue, sure, <laughs> but one of the venues is local and fairly close to my house. Um, that I've had really not in because there would there would be like this group of people that were enraptured with me and wanted to be with me, and then there's all these drunk people just like talking. <laughs> yeah. their, their I think heads I know off, where you're talking about <laughs> making so much noise and they could care less and the poor people and like i just for me 
that's almost worse than no one listening. Yeah. Because if there's no one listening, then I can just play, play for you and practice, you know, <laughs> like I don't care. I just practice. But if like some of the people are there and they're really trying to get what I'm serving up and people keep basically snatching it off the plate, it's like I'm trying to serve them this beautiful platter. And yeah. Like these randos just keep coming and sticking their hand in the plate, and knocking stuff off the plate. Like it's just, this is not fun. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's to me a bad gig. Sure. But I can't say that I've had a whole lot of those. Well, that's good. That's you know? good. Is there a gig that stands out? Like a really, uh, wouldn't say best gig, but some gig that really stands out in your memory is like that was that was an awesome gig. Well, I mean, I have quite a few of those. <laughs> Probably one of the most memorable for both me and my bass player, Rob Kohler. Rob, I love you. Um, would be when we were playing a gig supposed to be opening for Joan Baez and Bonnie Raitt. Um, it was the two-year anniversary of Julia Butterfly Hill being up in her tree in the California Redwoods. Mm -hmm. And um, I was asked to come and play this benefit, and we headed there, and the bridge on the Smith River washed out the night before. And so we couldn't get there, and we had to drive basically all the way to Redding and across from Weaverville in order to get to where mm -hmm. we were going. And we pulled in extremely late and we, we walked in the door and I had my guitar on my back and I was just like, oh my God, we drove all this way and we were not even going to get to play because Bonnie's already on stage. And Bonnie turns around and looks at me and goes, Alice is here. And the <laughs> whole crowd goes crazy. And I'm just like, did Bonnie Ray just say my name? <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay. But she saw me walk in and she that's was just really like, cool. And then her and her bass player, Hutch Hutchinson, were so cool to us. And their drummer, because we're meeting my drummer, Janelle Burdell, there to play the gig. And um, they just, Bonnie's like, okay. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, Alice is going to play. I guess Bonnie played first, then I was going to play, then Joan. So, and then we all sang together. But so Bonnie was like, just use my microphone. And Hutch was just like, just plug into my bass amp. And the drummer was like, Janelle, you could just use my drums. And so like, oh, they, just, generous. they were so sweet and welcoming. And um, it was really wonderful. Beautiful. It was just a really wonderful experience. And then I got, then Bonnie and Joan were like, come up on stage and sing with us. And I got to sing with them. And, and it was like, it was hours and hours and hours of grueling driving. But, you know, if I'd been with anybody else... <laughs> it might have sucked, but because I was with Kohler and his attitude was like, oh, I can get us there. I can drive <laughs> through snow. I can drive through sleet. We're good. And I just looked at him and I was like, we're going to be okay, right? And he's like, we're going to make it. We're not. I was like, should we just turn around and go home? He's like, no, we're going to do this. And we just listened to music the whole way and mm. blasted the stereo in my little Toyota Camry. How and fun. we had so much fun together and we joked <laughs> and we laughed and we had a good time and we got there and it all was like so perfect and everybody sang along and I was playing my song and there's Bonnie and Joan dancing on the side <laughs> of the stage. So I don't know. I was kind of, I like, love I, it. I was like, I guess I could die now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. What do you, um, Alice, what are you most looking forward to in this coming year? 
Well, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm really looking forward to shows. Um, I do have one or two shows booked so far. So mm -hmm. let's see, I'm hoping outdoor shows become a thing. Yeah. Rob's coming for June third. We're gonna play at Grizzly Peak, and um, yeah, I really hope to I hope to play more music for people in live setting and have it be safe. Yeah. That's really what I'm looking forward to. Oh, I'm also really, honestly, this is not, uh, this is not musical, but it's huge. Um, the end of March or around Equinox, I have a granddaughter that's due, so oh, I'm looking forward to that. Exciting! I'm looking forward to being Nona Alley. Mm. I get to be a common Nona. It's so exciting! <laughs> Congratulations! Thank you. Well, Alice. I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me. It's really been fun and um, I'm looking forward to hearing the album and I hope it, it uh, is a great success and I hope you get to play a lot of live shows this year and I hope to get to see you. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I mean, it certainly took its significant <laughs> effort on your part and I'm very grateful. So thank oh. you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks Alice. to everybody. If you made it this far. Hey everyone, this is Steve. One more time before you head out the door. Thanks for being here and listening to my conversation with Alice DiMaselli. Her album, Every Seed We Plant, drops on March 11th. So just about a week away from this episode. You can check out her website, alicedemoselli.com. We'll have links to all of her pertinent information online as well. While you're at it, head over to theplayfulmusician.com. In addition to listening to this show and seeing the show notes from the show, you can see all past shows and show notes and all kinds of goodies over there and sign up for a newsletter if you're so inclined. Go to Apple Podcasts, go to Stitcher, go to Spotify, Leave a review and tell me what you thought of this episode. Let me know who else you'd like to have on the show. We've got some really good guests coming up, but I'm always looking for more stories to tell. Take good care, and we'll see you back here soon. <laughs>